Hi, friends, and welcome to the Boss Next Door podcast. I'm your host, Becca Robinson, and I'm just a girl who decided to chase down her biggest dreams. 10 years and two successful businesses later, and I have grown from the girl next door to the boss next door, and I've learned a few things along the way that I want to share with you. Each week, I'll be bringing you stories, encouragement, and strategies that everyday people just like you and me are using to accomplish extraordinary things. I hope you leave each episode feeling more inspired, more encouraged, and more empowered than ever to go out and chase down your wildest dreams. Thanks for being here. Hi guys, and welcome to this week's Boss Next Door podcast. I'm really excited to bring you another incredible interview episode, this time with a woman who has inspired me for well over a decade. Today on the show, we have Kathleen Shannon. She is the incredible woman behind the Being Boss podcast community, the book. She's the co-founder and a partner at Braid Creative, which is a branding and visioning company for purpose-driven organizations. She has worked as a coach. She builds community. She helps other business owners in their journey. And she's just the most incredible, brilliant, creative, hardworking woman around. If you don't already know who she is, I know that you're going to fall in love with her pretty quickly because she is really funny. She's whip smart. She's endlessly creative. She's one of the OG online content creators. And I actually first stumbled upon her way back in 2008 when she was blogging. And this was right in the beginning of her journey. And she's going to share a little bit about that story, which is really cool because I think that when we come into this arena nowadays, we can sometimes see everybody out there who's been doing this, like Kathleen, for a decade and who has, you know, gone through tons of iterations and really found their passion in their niche, but it doesn't necessarily start that way. And she shares a lot about how she kind of stumbled into what has evolved over time because she was willing to share herself and her journey and take action and just start doing the dang thing, you know? So in this conversation today, she's going to share that story. We also talk about being ambitious. As a woman, we talk about busting imposter syndrome. So make sure that you listen long enough to hear her tips on that because they're incredible. Um, And we also touch a little bit on postpartum and adventure seeking. And we're kind of all over the board today. But I think that through it, you're going to love the truth bombs that Kathleen shares through this interview. So without further ado, I'm going to jump right in. It's like so fun to actually see you face to face. I know. I don't even know that we've ever had like a Zoom or like a video chat, have we? I don't believe that we have. And I don't think we've ever been at an in-person event at the same time either. That's so funny. I feel like I know you because I've literally been connected to I you know. I think a decade I looked back at your blog archives to see like how far back it goes yeah 2008 and I was like that's a decade <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah I've been blogging since 2008 so so crazy I know like before babies before babies. I know before babies before businesses before all the things 
so I thought we could maybe just kind of start by talking about kind of when we found each other forever ago. I know you started with your blog and then you went to Braid Creative and then you went to Being Boss, but your career has totally changed trajectories over time. So I would love to hear just kind of what that looked like for you. Like starting your blog, did you have this big vision of being a podcaster, like event leader, then you were working your way or was it something that you just kind of fell into it as you went? So yeah, whenever we, so we met each other probably around 10 years ago online, just following each other's blogs. I can't even remember the specifics because I've had a kid in between now and then, which has zapped all of my memory and all of my brain space. But we were following each other's blogs. So I had a blog called jeremyandkathleen.blogspot.com. I don't think that URL works or I'll probably redirect you to somewhere else. But I was basically blogging. I was doing the whole lifestyle blogging around the time. I don't know if you remember this. In 2008, the big thing in blogs was all about houses and I feel like I followed some blogs that were all about like minimalist cleaning and um, redecorating. And so I was kind of jumping on that train a little bit. And so I was blogging all about remodeling my historical home. And in the meantime, I was working as an art director at an advertising agency and I had no vision or desire to ever work for myself. But then as the story goes, I was blogging about my life. I was blogging about getting married. I blogged the wedding invitations that I created for myself. And this was before, this is probably at the very beginning of Etsy, but definitely before Pinterest. And um, yeah, I blogged about these wedding invitations and a cup of Joe, I don't know if you remember her, she picked up the invitations and she shared the design and then she put our actual wedding on Glamour Magazine blog. And so I feel like that's what gave me that initial boost. Like anytime in any sort of blogger or content creator's journey, there is this like little bits of rocket fuel along the way. And so I definitely credit Joanna Goddard with this little bit of rocket fuel. But again, I had no vision for monetizing or any of that. But people started asking me to design their wedding invitations. So meanwhile, at my day job, I was the lead designer on accounts like the NBA Hornets while they were in Oklahoma City. That's where I was living at the time. Um, you know, I was doing very like advertising, art director, fun, fun stuff. Um, and then I would come home at night and design people's wedding invitations. And I had this like very Wes Anderson vibe. Like I wanted really funky offbeat invitations and people would ask me like, is it okay to do this? Is it okay to do that on my wedding invitations? Like it's okay to do whatever you want. Like I'm probably the last person to ask about wedding etiquette and like <laughs> wedding wording, but somehow I fell into this thing. So then from there, um, I started getting enough business on the side that I decided to quit my job in advertising. It was a very difficult decision. And in hindsight, it's easy to like wrap it up in a little bow and say, oh, and then I decided to quit. I'm sure that there's like a lot of, lot of self-doubt, a lot of second guessing my decisions, probably a lot of like crying into a pillow about it. Um, but I knew that I wanted to go on more adventures and that I wanted to maybe work for myself because I was starting to get enough business on the side that maybe I could afford it. No. I also was working for yourself something you'd always envisioned for yourself? No, I never envisioned it for myself. Like my parents work for the government and are all about having a 401k and a pension. 
um, which I have now, not a pension, but I definitely have built retirement planning into my own business vision. Um, But no, I never imagined that for myself. I was working in advertising and funny enough, I worked with my sister who I now have my own business with, but we worked together in advertising. Even whenever I quit, she always imagined continuing to work for this advertising agency that we both kind of grew up professionally in. And yeah, I just like the idea of someone else giving me a paycheck and calling it a day. I never imagined working for myself. So one of the things that I think is super fascinating when I'm talking to business women who've been like wildly successful is to find out if they had always kind of been an ambitious go-getter since they were a child, or if this was something that kind of developed and unlocked within them. So for you, what did, was it something that even as a little kid, you always had these big ambitions and dreams, or you were just that personality type, or was it something that kind of evolved as you developed into a woman? Yeah. So I never imagined working for myself, but I've always been insanely ambitious. In fact, I remember as early back as the first grade, we were hosting our school play. I don't know if that's normal where you're from, but every year there's this big production, right? And it's this big school play and ours was centered around Thanksgiving. And so in this Thanksgiving play, people were playing leaves. Some people were dressed up as like parts of a cornucopia. Some people were pilgrims, which I don't even think would fly now. Anyway, there's a lot of different kids in different costumes, and I could not accept the fact that I might be a tree in the background. It really disturbed me, and I went up to my teacher what felt like every day for months. It was probably every day for a week, and I was like, hey, do you have another part for me that I could play that I just feel like I've got more to give? All this to say, I was casted as the turkey in the school. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> So I was like the lead. I was the turkey and someone is coming after me to kill me and eat me for Thanksgiving. And it was really great. And I feel like I really had to advocate for myself though in that in that moment. And I always come back to thinking about that story because I've always thought that I was hotter shit than I actually was. And I've always been like, yeah, I can do this. And anytime I get upset, it's because I'm literally not Beyonce. Like truly, it hurts my heart that I'm not that talented or that gifted or that ambitious or willing to work that hard, right? Um, But I've always, at the end of the day, ultimately believed in myself and have put my I've always put my hat in the ring, like to just show up and be seen and to do the thing, even if I wasn't quite qualified or good enough. Isn't it funny how many people get started with like something that has to do with a wedding, <laughs> a wedding invitation, oh, or like designing for a wedding? I know. I think it is this entry point to entrepreneurship where maybe some people have interactions for the first time ever whenever they're getting married with other creative professionals. Um, and it is, and I guess it is just an industry that has a lot of money. So I wasn't planning on being a wedding invitation designer. It was just that once I 
shared my own invitations, other people were asking for it. And that's been another part of my journey is that um, I've always seemed to not find a hole in the market and fill it. It's more of like the hole finds me and people are like, hey, can you solve this problem for me? So I was doing the wedding invitation stuff, but completely new to working for myself. And I definitely considered myself a freelancer at the time. And I had been blogging about remodeling my home, but I started blogging about figuring out how to work for myself. And it's funny because I can definitely see that being a turning point in my career where I was openly sharing what I was working on. I was giving a peek behind the curtain of what it takes to be a creative entrepreneur. I was kind of sharing as I was going. And that really set the trajectory that really set the trajectory for what my podcast has become and a lot of the content that I share over at Braid Creative has become. Um, so I actually kind of position myself as someone who's an expert in working for themselves, even though I do not come from a family of entrepreneurship. I'm not an expert in working for myself. I didn't even know like what a business plan was. I still kind of don't know what a business plan is. Um, but I was just saying like, here's how I'm doing it. And here's the lens through which I'm, you know, practicing, basically practicing being a boss and working for myself. And so I started getting emails from other people who wanted to work for themselves and they were asking me for advice and insights and tips. And I started hitting publish on some of those emails and simply uploading them to my blog. Um, and from there, I started attracting not just brides who wanted me to design their invitations and grooms, um, but then also attracting other creative entrepreneurs who wanted me to bring some of that strategy and some of those insights into their brand. Because that's really what my background was in, was branding and advertising and marketing. And whenever I worked in advertising, I didn't really know the difference between branding and marketing and advertising. And had I known the difference, I probably would have found a branding shop and still not have worked for myself. It's almost like I... I had to take this windy path to working for myself to find what I was truly passionate about and what I'm still passionate about, which is branding and more specifically personal branding. So really um, blending more of who you are into the work that you do and seeing that your personality is a something that can differentiate you from a lot of people who offer what you offer. And that whenever you can do that, you'll become creatively fulfilled. You'll attract your dream customers. Your offerings will reflect who you are. And so that's really the core of what I do. And it's still the core of what I do. So about a year into freelancing, my sister ended up quitting her job in advertising and coming and working with me. And I said, hey, we thought that we were going to just be working with credit unions and some of the like higher education and some of the industries that we were working with at our advertising agency. We thought we'll just set up our own shop and do the same thing. But I was like, hey, I've really got this place in my heart for creative entrepreneurs and I've been working with them on strategy and branding and positioning. Could we have some sort of packaged offering that's like at a lower rate for these people who could really use our help? And she was like, yeah, let's do it. Well, then five years into it, we were only working with creative entrepreneurs and that's recently shifted. We've had some big explosive growth just in the past year and we've kind of come full circle at our branding agency to include advertising and marketing and our team now has nine people on it at Bray. I know, I know. So that's like the story of starting my own branding agency. So when you first got into it, was there... Was it just natural for you to feel confident in your ability to 
take these people on? Or was that something that you struggled with? I think one of the things I hear the most from the women that are talking to me that really want to follow their dreams, follow this kind of like pull they feel of what they could maybe do in the world is, you know, that like, I even hate saying it because it's a coin phrase, but like that imposter syndrome, like, was there ever a time when that was a struggle for you or did you just kind of like plow right through that season? I mean, sure. That's normal for anybody. Like there's not a single person in the world that probably doesn't struggle from a little bit of imposter syndrome or feeling like they're not enough. But I will tell you this, my goal out of college and in advertising um, and in branding and in wedding invitation design was literally to be the best graphic designer I could be. Like that's what I cared about first and foremost. And then from there, it was sharing the content, right? So it was never really about getting the big name client or um, building the business or vanity metrics. It was literally about improving upon my craft. And I think that whenever you can focus on just being the best that you can be at your craft, so let's say it's coaching, then study coaching, you know, try and become a better coach, practice it in your off time, like really just dedicate yourself to, to your craft. And I always think about, so my brother is a sideshow performer and he swallows swords for a living and he breathes fire and he does all this incredible stuff. And one night I was spending the night with him, he was living in New York and he's working at the Coney Island by the seashore, which is like one of the oldest sideshows in the States. So he was working there. And one morning I woke up early, like around 7.30 and I go into the living room and he's been in there for an hour. Like he was up before the sun practicing this handcuff escape. And he would practice this handcuff escape technique until his wrists were so bruised he couldn't do it anymore. And like, I guess that's what I think of whenever I'm thinking about imposter syndrome. I'm thinking of like, just practice your craft until you can't do it anymore, right? Until you are just exhausted. And so I think that's how I beat it. And I think that a lot of people don't want to put in their 10,000 hours or they don't want to dedicate themselves to really becoming an expert in a thing. And that, yeah, imposter syndrome is going to come up for sure. But for me, I had already become pretty adequate graphic designer and I knew I could do that. But there's still those moments where you're afraid of rejection or what's the client going to say or if they don't like it, you feel like you're never going to have a good idea ever again. And so I definitely came against that and that's where my sister really came in and lent a huge piece of the pie to helping to build that confidence is that we established really early on a method and a process that we took our clients through every single time we worked with them. And that gave me a lot of confidence. Like knowing that we weren't just, you know, creating this like Don Draper, Mad Men style presentation where we were like, and now here is your brand. It truly was working together with our client as a collaboration. And so we're getting their buy-in along the way. And we're asking them very literal things like, what's your favorite color? You know, and it's not rocket science, but it does take a little bit of finesse. But if we can get there like 90% of the way with our client, then 10% is that magic and that little extra extra. And if, if I only have to be like 10% magic, 
most of the time, I think I've got, I can do that. Um, but all this to say like, yeah, like I feel good, but I definitely have these moments where I'm like, oh my God. And I still have those moments. And I find that the more I learn and the older I get, the more I know, I don't know. If anything, I have more imposter syndrome or more like freak outs now than ever before. I think that, um, I always have a hard time with this word naivety. That like kind of just, yeah, like that got me a long way. It was almost like I was just didn't know what I didn't know because I was so young. Yeah. I mean, those baby steps can really build your confidence. I know you've told me before that you're a believer in being okay, putting in the time and letting it take time, you know, letting that confidence build as you go. Has that been true in your career evolution? Yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, I think that trusting, I think having a vision for yourself, writing down your goals and trusting that you will get there one way or another goes a really long way. And I will say this too, that nothing has developed my faith in something bigger than myself. Like I've become a big believer in the universe since working for myself. And I don't know how I would work for myself without having some sort of trust in some invisible force that's got my back. Like I'm always super jealous of like highly, like people who just have Jesus in their heart and you can like <laughs> see it on them and you're like, oh, I, I wish I had <laughs> some of that. I want some of that Jesus in my heart too. <laughs> I'm so glad you said this. This actually is like a really great transition into one of the questions I wanted to ask you. So I wanted to ask you how – have you, especially now that your your work has grown so big and your ambitions have expanded maybe from what they were in the beginning, how do you um, kind of align that self-care for your soul with being someone that has that ambition, that has that big vision and wants to take on these new bigger projects? Like, has that been something that, you know, you've kind of figured out a way that works for you or is it a struggle or how do you manage that? Um, that's a really good question. I've always really been good at taking care of myself and my co-host over at Being Boss, her name is Emily and she's my business bestie. We call it being selfalicious. I think that's the word we use for it <laughs> because a lot of people are so afraid of being selfish. And I know that a lot of women struggle with this and I'm in a few Facebook groups for like mom bosses and I feel like they're always, whenever they complain about their partners, like picking up their weight or leaving their shoes in the middle of the floor, I feel like I'm that dude, like for the most part. Like I just kind of do what I want when I want, pretty good at taking care of myself. Um, so that hasn't been a struggle. I will say, you know, in the early days, I definitely had more ambition than I do now. Like now I'm a little tired, but all of that, I'm like coasting on that ambition that I already set up. So I'm really grateful for that. Like I had the ambition when I was younger, I had the energy to build the thing and now I'm just riding the wave. Um, but I mean, I don't know if maybe what you're asking is like what my actual self-care routine looks like maybe. I mean, it, it can be if that's something that helps. I just, I think that it's so important and I think it's a a stumbling block for a lot of women who are highly driven to kind of stay in that like masculine energy zone where it's like push, 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 hustle, hustle, hustle. It's so glorified now, especially if you're a woman and you're trying to achieve something. Everyone expects you to be crazy busy all the time, to never take time for yourself, to never slow down. If you say no, you're mean, you know, all of those kind of things. And I think 
that as you develop a deeper sense of like your connection to the universe or to God or whatever you believe in and feel connected to, you start to kind of see how important it is to fill that cup a little bit. So I was just curious how that's been for you managing so many different things, you know, in addition to being a wife and a mom. Yeah. So I think for me, it really does come down to perspective. And I do, I've come to believe, and I'm very, I just want to make it clear to your listeners that I am very open about all of the spirituality, like whether, no matter what you believe or don't believe. So I am definitely very, I would consider myself pretty spiritual. I like have even my own faith wavers from time to time. Um, But I consider myself very spiritual and I've come to believe that our souls come into our human bodies to learn something new and like what a gift it is. I feel like in a lot of practices like yoga, for example, or more of like the um, like austere practices. It's all about like getting back to your soul. And I'm like, why, why would we want to get back? We're going to, we have time for that. We have a whole, like a timelessness for that. Right. Like we only have probably what 80, 90, a hundred years if we're lucky on earth. So let's live it up. So I find a lot of spirituality in being in my human body. And so that looks like lifting some really heavy weights. That looks like going on some walks. That looks like having as many orgasms as I can possibly fit into this lifetime, right? So it really is about being in my body and seeing that as not only a gift and that I'm lucky to be here. Like what are even the chances that we're here, but also seeing it as um, an opportunity to learn. And so this perspective really comes into play whenever I am freaking out about being a mom and running a house and running a couple of businesses and running my body. You know, it can get, it can become overwhelming. And then I have to remember, oh, like even the bad feelings, even the stress out feelings are a gift and there's something to learn from. So I think that's where probably the spirituality really plays in for me. But the way that I express my spirituality a lot, aside from like all the woo-woo stuff like astrology and tarot and meditations and all of that is probably in, and I, I don't know if you resonate with this, Becca, with your own like fitness adventure, but for me, it really is in moving my body and really feeling in my body, like really kind of like that mind body connection, but even that like mind body soul connection, like where, where is my soul in my body? Like, that's the question that really trips me up and like, what is it? And so for me, it's just like, I just go down these philosophical and sometimes existential tailspins of what does it all mean? A hundred percent. For me, I feel that when I'm in my body, but I put my body in nature. <laughs> like, so like yeah. experience anything that's like awe inducing. I always use the phrase like big nature, like a big body of water or like a waterfall or like a giant sky or a mountain. That's definitely when I feel it the most. One of my favorite quotes, I don't know if you have heard her say it, but Jess Lively, she says it in her podcast event. She'll say this phrase that she reminds herself and it's let the human have the experience. And I think that that's like such a great reminder, even when you're going through, you know, something great, but also maybe like having to learn something new and that can be a struggle sometimes, you know? And I know you did graphic design and branding, but now you're doing like podcasting and events and all that kind of stuff. I always like to joke because my degree is in psychology and I've never actually had like a 
traditional a traditional career that uses psychology. I've never been a counselor or I didn't, you know, I didn't become a psychiatrist or any of that, but I joke all the time that I use that degree since I work with people that I use it every single day, especially in coaching. Do you find that you pull these things that you've kind of learned and put them in your toolkit in a certain way? Like what are some of those things for you? Yeah, absolutely. So I went to college for fine art and then I ended up getting an emphasis in graphic design. That's always been my job as art director, creative director, and now I'm definitely a content creator. And I started doing that before that was even a thing to be. I mean, before I could even monetize it, you know, and even before I had goals to monetize it, that's just what I wanted to do was capture, shape, and share who I was and to use that as a way to become more of who I am. And so my thing is really just about finding the overlaps and finding the blend. So really seeing how all the different threads. And in fact, this is how Braid Creative, my branding agency, got its name is like looking at all the different threads of who you are and braiding them together, right? Weaving it into this story and then kind of even figuring out what that one golden thread is that continues through the whole thing. And that might be your core value. Um, it might be your core offering. It might be you know, just like that, that golden thread of who you are. And so I've always definitely focused on really taking all the aspects of who I am and blending it together for better or worse. I mean, sometimes that means that I can't turn off who I am at work at home, or sometimes it means that I'm sharing stuff personally in a professional way. And then especially once I had kids or one kid, I've one kid, especially since having a kid, I kind of really struggled with that. Like how much do I share? And that's a continuing conversation and boundary. But um, yeah, I mean, for the most part, like I don't feel segmented or fragmented probably because I'm always just following my own curiosity and I'm always doing what's interesting and then just trusting that I know that this is definitely a problem for multi-passionate entrepreneurs and aspiring entrepreneurs. It's like, I have so many interests. Well, then just follow them. Like, follow your interests. And I would say, see one through. I think that's the main thing. It's like, follow one thing and see it through and then move on to the next thing, right? I think it's like the whenever you stop in the, in the middle, that then you start to feel fragmented. And I've never stopped in the middle. Like I've always seen everything that I've done through and then it becomes this tool in my toolbox. So some of those things, sorry, you asked me what some of those things are. Um, definitely a background in design and art. Definitely the way that things look really affects, I mean, just aesthetics in general intrigue me. They affect me. They are important to me. So that includes graphic design. That includes my house and the way that my house is designed. That might include my wardrobe. Color theory is color theory no matter where it ends up, right? And so that's something that seems to be a theme and a pattern. And then, you know, one thing that made me feel like really like, what am I doing was whenever I got interested in coaching. And it was because I was having these branding conversations and specifically life coaching. I was having these branding conversations with my clients. And at the end of it, they would be like, okay, but I need to tell you something. I feel like I can tell you this. I'm actually getting a divorce in two weeks and I don't know what it means for my business. And I was like, whoa. And I felt like stuff like this just kept happening. People felt 
really at ease with opening up to me, but I did not feel at ease in advising them or coaching them through this conversation without a little extra training. So I ended up getting life coaching training from Martha Beck, and that was really instrumental in just giving me more tools in my toolbox to have conversations. Um, and I did a little bit of coaching, like, especially during my training time as like a singular offering, but now it's just more integrated into my branding offering. I just have those tools in my tool belt. And then especially in podcasting. So in podcasting, whenever I'm conducting an interview, I learned how to ask better questions through coaching training. Um, so that's been another thing that's kind of woven its way into my story, And then what are some other things like a little bit of magic and synchronicity always weaves its way into all of the things. Um, So really just noticing when things, when like I get these little winks from the universe, like when just things feel aligned, it could be a certain song that I was thinking about. And then I walk into a department store and that song is playing, or it could be um, that I was thinking about someone and then they called, you know, little things like that, but those play into business too. And I don't ignore that whenever it comes to the way that I make decisions. So I think that that's a theme as well. That's a major tool in my toolbox. It feels silly talking about it sometimes, but I would be remiss not to because it has played such a big role. Yeah. I remember, cause I've followed you the whole time on social media, the whole time we've been connected. I remember like during your postpartum time with your son, you talking about how little sleep you were getting and for how long and, you know, surely that affects your ability to show up in, you know, your other creative projects. So can you talk a little bit just about, I don't even want to say balance cause I hate that word, but what it feels like when you're juggling all these responsibilities that are so unique to us as women, but also still trying to pursue those dreams? Yeah, I will say, I mean, a lot of people ask women, like, how do you balance it all? And that's not a question that's being asked of men very often, but I'm not offended by it because I do think that there is something to being a mom that carries a lot more weight and responsibility. Like, come on, babies just want their mom. That's the truth, right? No offense to any single dads out there listening to this, though. If you do have a single dad audience, like more power to you. (laughs) I have a feeling it's going to be more moms. Right. So we can all agree that like babies just want their mamas, right? And so for me, um, I had a really complex postpartum situation where I was – I was definitely like the capital A attachment parent, right? Like my baby was, I was wearing him for the first year. I don't think he was in a stroller for the first year of his life. I was doing exclusive breastfeeding on demand. And I was doing all of these things because I wanted to. Like it felt natural and it felt right to me. I wasn't doing it because any book told me to do it. I was just doing what felt right. But it also meant that I wasn't getting a whole lot of sleep. And I should mention also what felt right to me was sticking him in daycare at eight weeks old. You know, we all talk about needing a village. Daycare can be a village. I have so many thoughts about daycare and why it's amazing. And I um, love too that you did, that you're like kind of on what a lot of people might think are two opposing <laughs> spectrums here at the same time, like complete attachment and also daycare because I need some time. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, I need some time to build my businesses. So whenever people ask like, how do you do it all? A hundred percent daycare. Like I would drop my kid off at, um, 
7, 8 a.m. And I go pick him up at 5 or 6 p.m. And it's still that way to this day. So that's kind of how I do it all. I also want to mention, because you probably have a lot of women listening, I think a lot of women account for daycare out of their own paycheck. But if you are in a relationship with a partner who is also either the child's father or, you know, whatever, that is a shared household expense. Like, don't be thinking, oh, well, if daycare is $1,000 a month and I'm only making $2,000 a month right now because I'm trying to build this thing, that's like 50% of my income. The child might as well be at home. You cannot think of it that way. You have to think of it as a household expense, just like a car payment or a mortgage or anything else. Yeah. It's not a trade-off. It's not like, oh, I'm not going to be watching the child 100% of the time. So whatever I make should cover that. It's not- Right. Exactly. So that's kind of my feelings on that. I can't even remember. What, I'm so sorry, Becca. I can't remember what our original question was. Oh, balancing motherhood and all of the things, right? So my kid was in daycare all day, but breastfeeding all night. So for the first year and a half, he was up every 45 minutes to an hour nursing. So oh we just God. didn't just hug you through the screen. I know. I know. People think that I'm joking because I kind of, I have to kind of be funny about it to not be sad about it, but I kind of wanted to kill myself. So whenever that happened, I went to the doctor and I was like, you've got to sterilize me. Like I can never do this again. And I just wanted to have like some sort of control or autonomy over my body and over my choices because I felt so out of control. But I almost was like, I was that depressed person that makes it look really good. Like I think because I could put on makeup and start all these new projects and build a business that everyone thought I was fine and I was not fine. So I go to the doctor. I have this breakdown in her office. She's like, you might be a little depressed. And I was like, but I don't look depressed. And I think that this is where I did not know that depression – is on a spectrum, you know, and that it doesn't necessarily look like what you think it might look like to affect you. And so it was definitely affecting me. She put me on medicine, which helped me absolutely get my batteries up. And this is another thing, just like my whole family is, um, never been an entrepreneur. You know, my whole family has never been on medicine for things like depression. So it's definitely not quite stigmatized. Like they support me no matter what I do, but it was a new unfamiliar thing that probably more of us should have been doing before, but I was the first. So anyway, all this to say, I got put on medicine and that definitely helped, but just the day to day, even like working through the depression and the breastfeeding and the raising a kid, it really was just putting one step in front of the other. And I think this is where it's also really good to establish habits and routines and a team and support, like all of those things played into my ability to keep going. I wasn't doing it alone. I'm not a single mom. I have a husband and like a 50% partner. Again, as much as like babies want their mamas, like I really did rely on him a lot. And especially as my son Fox gets older, he's almost five now as of recording this. And it's becoming even more, it's getting easier in some ways, harder in others as parenting goes. But like I... I try to check out, like aside from just leaving my family and running away to Paris, which sometimes I fantasize about, like I've been on tour a lot this year. I'm working a whole lot this year. Um, 
even if you try to check out by like sending your kid to daycare all day, you are still that kid's mom, right? And you will still feel that relationship. And if you can let go of the guilt, then you can just enjoy your time together when you're together. And I feel like I've really struck that balance in a good way. Not to say that we don't have our hard days and not to say that sometimes I feel like I just missed the last five years of his life because it went by in a flash, but time just keeps moving. Like there's nothing that we can do about that. And we can't regret our choices along the way. hundred um, percent. Okay. So on your speaking of running away to Paris, <laughs> I love that actually literally on your website, you have these things that seem highly ambitious to me. It's things that you either kind of bucket list items you want to achieve or you have already achieved. I thought it might be fun for me to pull ones that I was the most curious about and kind of ask you about the story behind that. Would you be down for that? Yeah, of course. One of the ones that I'm really interested in hearing about was hiking to the base camp at Everest. Like, when was that? What was that like? Was it everything you imagined it would be? Was it way worse than you thought it would be? Tell me about that. Okay. So I became obsessed with Mount Everest probably around 2009. And I had been watching this show on the Discovery Channel called Expedition Everest or something like that. And I just didn't realize how hardcore Mount Everest was. Like, I didn't realize how cold it was and the oxygen issue. And I knew it was the tallest mountain in the world, but I just didn't know the details. So I thought, huh, I'd like to go see Mount Everest. This is before we had kids. Um, We decided let's go. And that was actually part of the story of quitting my job. So I quit my job in advertising in June of 2010. And we went to Mount Everest in October of 2010. So I was kind of building up my freelance business, but it wasn't quite so busy that I couldn't take a month off to go to Nepal. And me and my husband went to Nepal and it was everything and then some. I mean, that was definitely... I didn't realize that you could have chemistry with places and I definitely had a chemistry with Nepal and I would love to go back and I would love to take my son there one day and go hiking again. It was the most beautiful, stunning trip, but also it was hard. I mean, hiking to Mount Everest was physically taxing and it's literally one step at a time. And if you learn something about getting where you want to go, walking to the tallest mountain in the world is one way to do it. Um, So it just gave me a lot of time to think and it was just, it was just magical. I will always relish that experience. That sounds amazing. I have kind of vague memories of you posting like photo updates from this time in your life. Yeah. So whenever I got back from Mount Everest, I actually spent an entire month. I would document and design one day at a time. And okay, so this is kind of a funny work-life blend thing where like you don't really separate things. I designed and wrote those posts and that actually helped me become a storyteller and it helped me develop my own personal aesthetic whenever it comes to sharing my own stories. And the design of those posts is kind of now what Braid Creative looks like from a branding standpoint. It's so funny how everything is just so interrelated. And in the moment, you don't see where it's going. But like once you look back, you can just see how every single thing, good and bad, unexpected and expected, kind of like charts this whole course. It's Absolutely. Okay. Tell me about auditioning for America's Next Top Model. Did you meet Tyra Banks? My gosh, I did not meet Tyra Banks. So this was in Oklahoma City. This is during cycle six. So this is at the very beginning of all the reality TV shows. It wasn't what it is today. 
So this is kind of the first of its kind. Like maybe American Idol was out by this point too, but that was basically it. So America's Next Top Model was my favorite TV show of all time. And I was working at, it was my first job out of college was at this alternative weekly newspaper where I was designing ads, like the ads for the people who advertise in the newspaper and doing some of the newspaper layout and sometimes the cover designs. And in the paper, we saw this casting call for America's Next Top Model. And it was at a local Volkswagen dealership. And my friends were like, you should totally audition. And I said, okay, I'll do it. I'll audition. So I show up to the Volkswagen dealership. I barely have the paperwork that I need. I was not organized nearly enough, but I brought it and all the producers there at the time, they were like, I think you're going to make it. But I knew in my heart that I wasn't, you know, skinny enough at the time. You had to be really skinny. I wasn't symmetrical enough. I just wasn't beautiful enough, right? But what's funny about this is that the audition itself was a fun story. But what it really highlights is this thing that I guess I wanted to model. And since then, I have modeled for my friends who own shops. I have modeled for the cover of my own book. You know, like I've actually had the opportunity again, like taking these experiences and putting them in my toolbox. I've had the opportunities to model maybe even more so than some of the contestants who actually ended up on the show. And again, not because I'm the prettiest or the most modelyest, making up words here. Um, but because I want to show up and be seen just as I am um, and do fun things and go to fun places and take beautiful photos. And I've had the opportunity to do that. So I think that's another thing with bucket lists is that if you have a bucket list, look at the ways in which it ends up showing up, right? So I wasn't on America's Next Top Model, but I have gotten to model and that's pretty cool. I think that's really cool. And you modeled for a book cover, but on your list of goals is to have a New York Times bestseller book. That seems like a pretty ambitious goal, but I like it. <laughs> Do you already have the book in mind that you want that to be, or is that just open for the universe to fill that void? Well, I was hoping it would be my book that published this year. So I wrote a book this year called Being Boss, Take Control of Your Work and Live Life on Your Terms. I always forget the really long story of that. <laughs> Um, and so honestly, like I've been facing a lot of disappointment this year because it didn't end up becoming a New York Times bestseller. And then I've also learned that the New York Times bestseller list is a little, it's lacking a little integrity now. Like there are ways to buy your way onto it. And I just wasn't willing to do that. And I'm coming back around to, here's the lesson in failing. Like my own, and sometimes your own goals are what make you a failure. Like a lot of people would see that publishing a book is an incredibly successful thing that you can do. Yet I see myself as a failure because it's not a New York Times bestseller. But this is where these lessons come into place is that I remember feeling just as accomplished having 50 readers reading my blog, like 50 people I didn't know in that, you know, remember like the blog spot sidebar where you old could see blogger one, like before Google Analytics. Yes. <laughs> yes. The old blogger one. And you could see like the people following you. I remember when I got to 50, I thought I was hot shit. And I felt as cool then as I did getting 5 million downloads of my podcast, right? And so even with the book, I'm coming back around to, hey, remember whenever 50 people are reading your blog? Like what if 50 people read your book and 
take something from it. Like that's good enough. And so really redefining what success means and also letting go of some goals like a New York Times bestseller. However, I have no doubt that one day in my future, I will write some sort of book that could end up being a New York Times bestseller. I'm not, it's just not on my own timeline that I was hoping for. A hundred percent. And I think it's one of the traps that we get into. I think something that a lot of women that are driven have in common is just expecting that whatever thing we do is going to instantly be like the very best top of the chart thing. And then genuinely, I know for me, I'm like genuinely upset. Like it's a surprise to me. It's a surprise to no one else. Everyone else is like, it was your first try, Becca. It's fine. But to me, I was expecting to nail it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like if I buy a lottery ticket, I expect to win the lottery like wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly. And I'm genuinely surprised when it doesn't happen and let down. Same. I don't know what that is. It's just got to be in our like DNA makeup. <laughs> right, right. But who knows? I think that I'm, I really love reading memoirs and I feel a little fraudy even saying like, I'd love to write a book of essays. But I think that that would probably be a book one day that I would like to write. Yeah, I think that would be cool. There's a quote that stuck with me um, from Brendan Burchard that I heard recently, and I just repeat it to myself because right now I'm in a season of learning a lot of new things and stepping into a lot of areas that are kind of uncharted territory for me creatively and professionally. And it's that is a challenge to check my ego and be like, it is okay to have to take it, like you said, one step at a time. His quote that I loved was, be okay being seen starting small. It's so hard for me. <laughs> so hard for me. Yeah. I'm okay with it. I'm okay starting small. And if you had like a mantra or a, a quote or a piece of advice to someone who's listening that knows deep down that she is ambitious, that she is driven, that she kind of was meant for more, but is maybe just not yet taking those steps or is stuck or in her head about it, what would that be? So I was actually just writing a blog post today for Braid, and this is a mantra that's come up time and time again, and I rewrote it in this post, but I wrote it years ago, and it's this idea of be a farmer, not a hunter. And I think that a lot of what is marketed to us in the entrepreneurial world is like have that six-figure launch and become an overnight success. No one's literally saying that, but essentially that's what it feels like, or build that list. It's this very like aggressive hunter mentality. And if you can embrace being a farmer, if you can embrace planting seeds and nurturing them and watering them and riding the seasons and the droughts and the hail and all the stuff that's going to be thrown your way and just continue to nurture your vision, nurture your community, nurture your customer, it's going to grow, but you're playing the long game and it's about building this business or wealth or legacy or vision for the long term. Even if you don't have like a five or 10 year plan, that's okay too. Just think about planting those seeds and growing them and seeing what comes up, but just have this like not so desperate, aggressive, I need it now vibe. Girl, that is so good. Be a, be a farmer, not a hunter. That'll be, yeah. that's a good one. And I mean, don't get me wrong. There are times where I want to like 
be running through the woods like an Amazon woman with my bow and arrow and go for the hunt, but you can't sustain that pace, I guess is what I'm saying. Like those kind of sprints can only be once you have the energy, but farming is something that is so much more sustainable. 100%. So good. Thank you. So many great nuggets in that conversation. One of my big visions for this podcast was I wanted to bring to you this experience that I had as a newer business owner when I got to go to this live event where a lot of the people that I looked up to in business were there. And I, it was a really relaxed event and I was so awestruck by what it felt like to just sit around um, in the restaurant or by the pool and just get to listen in on conversations with other business owners or even be a part of them. I felt like I learned as much, if not more than what I learned in actual training sessions, just by sitting in on these conversations. And that's exactly what I wanted to do with this podcast was bring you in to sit in on these conversations because I think we learn so much by sharing our stories with each other. We feel so much less alone. Sometimes you just need to hear someone say something that you've heard a million times, but they just say it in a slightly different way. And all of a sudden it clicks in your brain. It becomes this giant revelation to you or aha moment or an unlock something for you. And that's what I hope that these podcast episodes will bring to you. So I know that Kathleen did that for me and I hope that she did it for you. I have linked to all the ways that you can follow her various creative efforts in the show notes. I wanted to take a second and thank all of you guys who have downloaded our free photography guide, How to Train Your Instagram Husband. I have been having so much fun seeing your boomerangs in your videos and your photos that you're tagging me in as you're out and about doing little mini photo shoots. So please keep those coming. If you are loving the guide and getting some really cool photos or even just taking silly fun videos, tag me on Instagram at the boss next door underscore because I am just having so much fun seeing them. And for those of you guys who don't know what I'm talking about, I collaborated with my husband who is an award-winning professional photographer on a free less than 10 minute long training video with 10 do's and don'ts for better photos with your iPhone or your other smartphone camera when you're just out and about. We called it how to train your Instagram husband just to be silly, but this could be for training yourself, training your best friend, your partner, whoever it is that takes pictures for you and your brand. And the idea behind it was we know that so many people don't come into small business with a creative arts background or a photography background. And that can be really stressful because visibility is a huge part of launching your business, you know, launching it online, launching it on social media. And that can be so daunting if photography is something you struggle with. So it's been really, really fun. And the whole point of it was to take photography and, and make it something that you actually have fun with instead of something that is really stressful or frustrating to you. So if you haven't already downloaded that guide, it's completely free. You can find it on my website, www.bossnextdoor.com, or I put a direct link to where you can access it in the show notes. Thank you guys so much for joining me this week and I will be back next week with another episode of The Boss Next Door.